The following Teisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. This is a particularly rich time for us here at Hoenji. Last Sunday we had Hiruta Sensei here and heard his good talk exploring the interrelationship between Zen and the Shinto breath practice of Misogi and exploring the intersection of science and Buddhist consciousness practice. And we had his senior Aikido disciples from Ann Arbor, Long Island, and Brooklyn, Aikikai, as well as Dabasatsu, and New York City. Yesterday and Friday night, we had remarkable Buddhist teachings by Glenn Mullen, who is one of the great American, North American, he is Canadian by birth, and uh, very Irish, so maybe we have to say who's one of the preeminent non-Tibetan Tibetan lamas and has done much translation, speaks Tibetan fluently and is uh, the product of authentic training. He's had about 35 Tibetan teachers and also studied with a Korean Zen master and told some stories about his interactions with Fukushima Roshi from Tofuguji. And one of those stories had to do with a calligraphy that Fukushima Roshi gave him. As some of you know, he was one of the great calligraphers, Zen master calligraphers of our era. He passed away not long ago. He gave him a calligraphy that comes from Umon Zenji's well-known saying, every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. Sounds good. Until we fall down and break our wrist or get a terminal diagnosis. Of course, we all have terminal diagnoses but sometimes we get it confirmed. Then we think, well, this isn't a very good day. I'm ready for a different day, a new day. Glenn 
made a wonderful distinction in his day-long workshop yesterday on the Mahamudra teachings of Shunyata. Distinction between preferential mind and prejudicial mind. Preferential mind. We all know So San Zenji warns us about the mind of making choices. The great way is not difficult. Just avoid making preferences. Simple enough, right? Glenn said, you know, preferential mind is something that is quite natural to us. We don't get so deeply in, let's say, enslaved by preferential mind as we do by prejudicial mind. We can see preferential mind in a kind of natural way. Of course, I prefer not to have my wrist broken. I prefer to be able to tie my own robes, put on my own tabi. It's not of great consequence. But prejudicial mind has a way of really getting into a very deep place in our, we might say, in our psyche. Where we can see the cause of suffering so clearly drawing away an aversion from anything that may disrupt us and keeping ourselves from the great lesson of what does disrupt us. So the Mahamudra teachings also focus on how everything is a learning experience so that we can loosen our grip on what we think reality, the appearance of reality, of what we think reality is. Caught up in the illusion of the appearance of things, we think, oh, this has unchanging form, this has undying substance. And so prejudices occur. And as you know, one of the three poisons is anger. Where does anger come from? Not getting your way, right? Not getting my way. We're prejudiced in favor of the so-called self. A self that wants its own way, right? Where does this prejudice come from? This idea of universal, eternal self. There's another aspect of that that creates prejudice. What do we make up that creates prejudice? 
What's the fear based on? You have to speak much more loudly. Okay, but there's still, all of what you're saying is right, but there's still something that you are not... The division and the good and bad. The division of what and what? No, no separate individuality. Okay, separate individuality means there is a... Another. Ego. Another. Dualism. Where does the prejudice take root in seeing what? Hmm? The other. In seeing an other, right? Isn't that the fundamental ignorance? We project an other. Therefore, fear comes up. Therefore, a sense of power comes up. Therefore, what did you say? Division into good and bad. The division into good and bad. It's, ra- it's based on self and other, right? And what else? No separated individuality. So when we experience no separated individuality, then what happens? No prejudicial view. No prejudicial view. And even more so, what do we feel? Huh? Peace. Peace, all right. What else? Hmm? Every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. <laughs> we may feel peace. We may feel, ah, everything is a good day. Okay, just as it is. And, but particularly in this sense of no separated individuality, no self, no other, what do we feel? Equanimity. Equanimity. Very important. More powerful Compassion, more powerful, love. How can we want to exert power over another when we experience there is no self, no other, just this, what seems to be a negative situation is nothing but Nothing but the marvelous revelation of its glorious light, we chanted, right? Sounds very highfalutin. But really, when you feel that, when you are really one with, one with, definitely every day is a good day. Will you stop? You you feel that you no longer get caught up in the way it should be. And you no longer feel this prejudice against. That's the experience of anger, feeling prejudice against, feeling that someone has done you wrong, feeling fear that you will be what? taken over or harmed in some way, right? So Glenn said, as you mentioned, Daigon, that to do real practice, to become a bodhisattva, the most important thing is to develop 
equanimity. To develop equanimity, we cannot intellectually say, okay, I feel peaceful. Because as soon as we do, something disrupts it, right? Because we don't have that equanimity coming from within. It's something we're still thinking must be up there, must be out there. We can grab it somehow if we just get the right techniques. Where is it? Every day is a good day. is just the most wonderful expression of inner equanimity. It comes through our experience of no separated individuality. The little creature that is crawling around that normally we do take a kind of prejudicial view toward maybe a bed bug, immediately fear arises. Oh, if there's one, there are bound to be others. If we see that bed bug as nothing but, as the Tibetans love to say, your own mother, every being was once your own mother. Thanks, Mom. Instead of squashing it, right? To feel this welling up of, oh, thank you so much for changing all those diapers. Not to mention going through labor. Glenn was telling us about having been a midwife for a while in Tibet. Interesting guy. So I was speaking about the richness of the current era at Hoenji and coming up we have Amit Goswami, wonderful scientist who has plumbed the depths of consciousness from a Buddhist perspective. And even to say Buddhist perspective is somewhat limiting unless we really understand what Buddhist perspective means What's it mean? Wholeness or oneness. Wholeness or oneness. No ist. No ist. Awake. Awake. Right? Awake to it. So he'll be here uh, with us tonight, late tonight, coming in, speaking at Syracuse University tomorrow at 7 and meeting with us here and speaking in the Zendo Tuesday morning. And then red pine is coming. Here we have great white pine, but red pine is coming. Also known as Bill Porter. When does he come? He gets here April 21st and he speaks April 22nd. April, not so far away. Mandala Day, Red Pine. So today we commemorated Myo On, whose name can be translated as Subtle Sound. Myo On Maureen Stewart. 
And I wanted to read a little bit of her teachings from this every day is a good day understanding, thinking about um, what it's been like for me with uh, this inconvenience. Really what, beyond the severity of the pain of the moment of falling and breaking my wrist, what has really struck me is something that I started talking about the Sunday last Teisho, not knowing I was soon going to break my wrist, which was how important it is to allow oneself to be helpless, just to give over to others what needs to be done instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to do it myself. So this uh, separation of self and other also has a lot to do with how we view ourselves as thoroughly capable and independent and, as you said, Joseph, powerful beings that we can take care of business. So it's a big shock when you find out you can barely wipe your own ass. I haven't asked anybody to help me, but it's very hard being dominant right-hand person using left hand. Talking about such things, you know, may seem embarrassing, but you find out that there's no need to be embarrassed about anything because that's just something you add to the experience of whatever it is you're going through. Trying to tie something or untie something, trying to put on a Band-Aid is impossible. Try it. Those of you who are right-handed, take off the little cap that goes on the bacitracin tube with your left hand, press out the little bacitracin with your left hand, and then notice what the Band-Aid is wrapped in. It might as well be what they make, you know, rockets out of. There's no way you can take a Band-Aid out. Try it with your non-dominant hand. Teeth, elbows, all kinds of things you find out are very useful. (laughs) But they still don't do it. So many people have kindly asked me, what can I do to help? And I think, well, I have a lot of laundry you could wash for me. But the real interesting thing is when you're alone, and you're trying to do something, and you find out you can't do it. You can't set that up. You can't say, could you please come over and take out a Band-Aid for me at, you know, 11 p.m. or something. So it's this feeling of giving over, utterly giving over, realizing, you know what, when it all comes down to it, we're babies, we can't do a thing. We're dying, we can't do a thing. And in between, sometimes we get the impression that we can do a thing. But fundamentally, we just can't do a thing. This is a wonderful thing to realize, to understand every day is a good day. It seems peculiar to say so, right? How can not being able to do for yourself be a good thing? But something happens, some softening happens. How many of you know what I'm talking about? from having been incapacitated in some way or another, right? Everybody here knows what it's like. 
You can't see out of one eye because you have some eye infection. It's all covered over. Everything looks weird, two-dimensional. You can't walk because you broke your leg. You can't get out of bed because you've got such terrible fibromyalgia. You can't use anything that you thought you could use to get around because you broke your ankle. You know, all these things everybody has experienced to one degree or another. And this is part of what we were talking about and hearing Glenn talk about yesterday, about just resting in the mind of Dharmakaya as it is Tathagata, one who is of suchness to relinquish our ideas about how it should be and to learn this is so important to see everything that happens as the great teaching of this moment because Tanahashi has done a whole series of ensos circle paintings that he titled Miracles of Each Moment. And again, it's like saying uh, the marvelous revelation of this glorious, its glorious light. We think, oh yeah, right, that's a bit fancy. Miracles of each moment. Yeah, miracles, right? Sounds kind of new agey. But truly, truly, the miracle of this moment is what? Even with a cold, you're breathing. Isn't that a miracle? Your heart is beating. How amazing. How much longer? How many beats do you have left? Anyone? Some of us may think, oh, you know, beyond calculation. Innumerable. But this temporary body soon will be gone. So let me read a few things. Maureen wrote. She spoke. I wrote. This was when I could use both hands. Last summer, when I was going through some slight indisposition in my life, many of you wrote to me and sent me your loving wishes. A beautiful card was made here at Green Gulch with messages from many of you. When I received it, I sat down in my living room and cried, not in sadness, but in deep gratitude that such friends are here, that such loving support is in my life. I kept that card, and I read it every so often. I smile and say again, thank you, thank you. Thank you even to those who seemed to think I was not going to live much longer. Some people tell me that I am denying my illness. Why don't you face it, they ask. But I am not sick. I have not been sick in the sense of having any symptoms or pain, 
except from what is normally caused by a major operation. The doctors have been very perplexed because I have not had any pain or anything else on their list. I have been a very difficult patient in that I don't fit into a prescribed cubbyhole. I do face the fact of what has been going on, and I share it with you because there are changes in my body that may give me trouble at some time. But the doctors have told me, since you aren't feeling sick, we won't give you any treatments that will make you sick. Go home and use your own mind for all of this. That's the treatment for you. So often when we find out something is wrong, there is a kind of feeling of uh, frenzy. What should I do? How should I get better? What kind of treatment should I have? And the interesting thing is, somebody was just talking to me about this last night, the medical profession really doesn't have a clue. They can say, you know, well, do this, do that, we'll give you chemotherapy and radiation, but they don't have a clue. So in Maureen's case, after her operation, she decided she had had breast cancer, she decided to just let it be and lived out the rest of her days. They weren't long, numerous days, but they were wonderful days. She sat every session even when, toward the end, she would have copious nosebleeds sitting in zazen in session, bleeding, 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 just sitting, 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 then dying, 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 dying. Every day is a good day. Bloody nose day, okay. Pain, yes, came pain. Medication, okay. All of us will face this. How? How do we bring the jewel of our practice to this every day. Maureen also said, we are not doing this practice to gain some superficial composure. Oh, every day is a good day. Superficial composure. That's kind of like, I'm okay, you're okay. We are not here to feel a little bit better physically. These things may happen, but they are byproducts. Gaining true insight is what we are here for. And then we can live our lives unaffected by living and dying. Unaffected, this she means without a prejudicial view, without that trapped view. Unaffected means non-attached, not hating what comes that's horrible, not running after in addiction, after what we think it is will make us better. 
And then she says, living and dying includes everything, not just our own life and death, everything. This is what cause means by the miracles of each moment. Everything is in this circle, right? An enso surrounds everything. We call it shunyata. The meaning of everything is shunyata, after all. That's where the miracle comes from. Everything, she says, everything is living and dying moment after moment. When we gain true insight into this, then we can freely come, freely go, without getting entangled, without being deluded. Then we can endlessly transform ourselves without being caught up in the ongoing transformation. Without saying, oh, look, I'm having a transformation moment. Letting it come, letting it go. To have this feeling about our lives. You know, we were born. No one asked us at that moment, do you want it to come? Do you want life to come? Do you remember? Just (laughs) without getting entangled, letting it come, letting it go, letting it go. Okay, bye-bye. It's very difficult for us to really feel that way about no matter how broken down this body may be, still and all, we're very fond of it. We've gotten to know it well. And even though we may think, oh, my next life, maybe I'll be, you know, some beautiful bodhisattva with lots of jewels and piles of gorgeous hair and fancy robes of gold everywhere, you know, the way they look in the pictures, instead of the way you look in the mirror. Actually, that's just another illusion. Look in the mirror and see Bodhisattva. This is the true image. However, even if we think, oh, next life, it'll be better. It's got to be better than this, right? Even if we think that way, we still feel, I don't want it to go. I'm not ready yet. But our practice is to disentangle ourselves When we say, to realize shunyata, right? means to disentangle ourselves from the illusion of this appearance of reality and just to be with it, the miracle of this moment flowing on. She says, in the midst of impermanence, we are constantly changing without getting enmeshed in any of it. This is what we are here to experience. This is absolute freedom, not relative freedom. 
It's not just being free from a few icky, sticky things. Ultimate freedom is what we are here for. What comes with true insight. And again, we do not come by this true insight by trying to become free. The very trying is an impediment. In our trying, we become grabby. We want something. We want to become enlightened. In seeking some supreme state of mind, some supernormal powers, we get caught in the leaves and branches instead of going directly to the root. Where is the root? She says, in truth, there is nothing to do. Buji, but we are doing nothing. Doing, 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 vividly. We are not sitting on the cushion daydreaming, right? We are not just passively letting things happen. We are dynamically present to them. Then everything becomes quite extraordinary. Or another way of saying it, then every day is a good day. The last quote, I think so. Two more little quotes. This is from one of the sessions she did here. By here, I mean in my attic. So how is the Buddha Dharma in Syracuse today? Were you there, Shigetsu? What is our practice right here, right now? It is always different. It is living, moving, changing, always open, no static condition, simple, straightforward, naturally harmonious. And it is a feeling of deep friendliness. This is the Buddha Dharma today in Syracuse in this room. A deep, wonderful connection with one another. We don't need to say a word, but we feel it. We do not need to smile at one another. We feel one another's bodies smiling at one another. But to smile at the Buddha in us, in each other, is not a bad idea. Smile, not a bad idea. When you are sitting every so often, smile at the Buddha in us. We do not need to be grim. Very important. So often our images come from Linji, China, right? <laughs> Within that appearance of fierceness, grimness, if you will, is such a playful spirit, joyful spirit. So please don't copy any such image. Feel your own playful spirit. And then it may come out as wrath, or it may come out as have a bowl of tea as you feel 
naturally, as circumstances invite, naturally responding, offering, smiling within. And she then says, coming through pain, coming through weariness, we experience wonderful joy. And this is really important for us to remember, isn't it? Because we still get caught up in the delusion that if we can make our circumstances good, we can have a good feeling, right? When I get things according to the way I like them, then I'll be able to do good Zen practice. Just the right temperature in the room, just the nicest people around me, just the perfect cushion, just the right amount of sitting in kinhin. And each of us, of course, may have some slight variation on that just right, which makes it rather difficult because there are these variations. Therefore, they don't quite jibe with what we have decided will be the right circumstance ever, 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 ever in our lives anywhere. So that we have to give up, completely give up. When we can see, okay, pain, broken wrist, yes. Pain, cancer, yes. Weariness, exhaustion from pain, yes. Okay, right here is every day is a good day. This feeling coming through this, not waiting until it becomes a good day never becomes a good day if you wait that way. So last, I will read a talk that she gave uh, just a year before her death after medical tests indicated metastasized cancer. Thanks to this practice, I feel I do have some true peace of mind After all, life and death, health and illness are one. The true face of this universe includes all things in it. Good, bad, life, death, health, illness, all of it. There are many so-called healers in the world. But healers cannot bring us wholeness. Healers do not heal us. The healing is already there in the wholeness. True healer, after all, is one who reminds us of this. We're already whole. So the real goal of healing is to help the person in need of healing to be aware of this. At the deepest level, the so-called sick person has no sickness. At this level, I am not sick. With deep gratitude to this practice, because of Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, because of all of you, because of all of this that we are engaged in together, because of this indefinable, mysteriously unspeakable, marvelous whatever it is, I really do feel this no sickness. 
You cannot take my definition, my experience of it as yours, of course. The only reason I tell you of my experience is in the hope that it may encourage you. It is your own life experience that confronts you all the time. And this is what Glenn meant yesterday in speaking about learning from everything. Your heart doesn't beat because you think about it. Your breath is not breathing because you say, breathe. A power beyond definition is making our hearts beat and making us breathe. This is the reality of our lives. So we know why we are here. We are here to get rid of confusion. Each of us must do it. Buddha said, you must be a lamp unto yourself. May our lamps shine out unselfconsciously so that we may continue this wonderful practice for all beings. This is life-death, to continue and continue and continue this wonderful practice for all beings.